Well, good evening, everyone. This is Rich Sparago, known on Twitter as Mets Killing Me, Met Fan Rich, and other various handles over the years. And I'm very pleased to welcome you to the 27th edition of a Metsian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. Um, tonight, we have a very special guest. We'll get to her in just a moment. But before we get to our special guest, uh, I have one of my co-contributors to the podcast uh, who's a bit under the weather and being a true trooper by joining us in that state, Mr. Mike LeColent from Brooklyn. Mike, how are you tonight, other than the obvious? Uh, what a struggle, Rich. My annual sinus infection. Uh, but uh, Mets, talking Mets baseball, just talking baseball makes me happy. Very good. And uh, Sam is not with us at the moment, our third contributor and our third, um, we like to call him the mastermind behind the podcast. Sam is not with us just yet. Hopefully he'll be able to join us as we go along. But we do have someone who um, doesn't need much of an introduction in these parts, you know, around Mets Twitter and and Mets social media and all of that. Uh, It's Taryn the Coop Cooper. Um, She is very active on uh, a lot of different platforms, and I'm not going to take too much more. I'm going to let her introduce herself, uh, her Twitter handle, where you can find some of her work and her Mets fandom roots, and with all of that, and it's a voice that we've heard on the podcast before. So we'll call you Coop, which is what she prefers. So Coop, welcome to the Metsian podcast, and uh, please introduce yourself and, and tell people where they can find you and what you're up to these days. Uh, sure thing. Uh, thanks for, for, for remembering me. Um, I, as Rich mentioned, I'm Karen the Coop Cooper. I am the founder of My Summer Family, which is at mysummerfamily.blogspot.com. I also write at galforallseasons.com. That's kind of my, my mixed bag, sports-focused, crazy fandom sort of blog. Um, I have not been uh, as active on Twitter. Um, in fact, I, I kind of put a self-imposed uh, moratorium on talking about the Mets because um, I felt that it was really kind of peeking away from my enjoyment of the games as if the Mets didn't, you know, break my heart enough. <laughs> um, it, uh, I, I haven't really been uh, tweeting as much, but I am at Hoops. 22 that's coop with a z 22 um it's a private account and i do have to approve you so i haven't been accepting new followers however i do tweet about a little bit about everything including just baseball in general at taryn it up ny so it's uh, my first name t-a-r-y-n it up n-y and um that's about it well, Coop, it's a pleasure to have you. It's an honor for us to have you on the show again. And, and so why don't we jump into some content for tonight? Um, I would like to, to start with the more topical things. And, and what could be more topical than a game that completed about six hours ago? The Mets did one of those camp days today. And they were able to go out there and beat the San Francisco Giants. It was a game that, it, I, as I was following it on game day at work, I was, I was infuriated. I was saying to myself, this is so Mets. They had four guys on base and two runs in before there was an out. And about an hour and a half later, they were behind. How does that happen to any team other than the New York Mets? But they found a way to pull the game out. So here's my first question, and Mike, we'll start with you here. Um, So, Mike, should we as Mets fans say, okay, you know, maybe this is the start of something better. Uh, The Mets are a better home team than a road team this year, and they're owed a lot of home games. 
They have, uh, I believe, played 27 at home and 35 on the road, so maybe that's a positive thing. Um, so, Mike, should we say that, okay, things are looking up, or should we just uh, temper our expectations and say, my goodness, the Giants are a really lousy lineup out there, and, and that's the only reason they actually won the game. So, Mike, take that away. You know what? Let me clear my throat here for a second. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to answer that this way. Uh, being that this is the 50th anniversary of the Miracle Mets, uh, it was right around this point during that season in which they lost five in a row uh, to put them exactly five games under 500. And then they went on an 11-game winning streak, if I'm not mistaken. That said, you know, we're still talking about a team playing under 500, Rich. Uh, here we are in June. Uh, today was a good day. And when, when you're when you're haggling with par, you have good days and you have bad days. And on the good days, they look real good and things are real positive. And, you know, you get behind them and you're like, oh, maybe this is the start of better things. And, you know, tomorrow they can have that bad day where we're just putting them on the uh, – on, uh, on the desktop like a frog in biology class and just dissecting them to pieces. Uh, so th- there, there you go. Uh, it's the inconsistency. Today was a good day. And in, in the absence of an 11 game winning streak to really uh, set our opinions about this team uh, firmly and, and forward. Well, here we are. So I'll I'll take today's win with a grain of salt because the Giants are indeed the Giants. There's nine teams that are uh, 500 or above in the National League, and the Mets and Giants are not one of them. So, Coop, did the series against the Giants in any way, shape, or form leave you with a case of the warm fuzzies, or are you are you oh, basically no. Mike is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I was actually I, I was going to piggyback on what Mike said, and I I completely agree that I, I think grain of salt is a good way of looking at things. Um, this is the way that I I've kind of looked at just my baseball team in general over the years. Is that you need to win against the bad teams, and what I found with with this specific team, the 2019 Mets, is they're not doing that. You know, the sure thing against the Marlins, I mean, there's nothing like, you know, beating the crap out of the Mets that sends a a bad team on a winning streak. Let's be fair here. Um, So while, you know, it's like, oh, great, you know, and I I think I I wasn't infuriated um, following today's game. Like like you said, Rich, Um, it was more like I was I was following the team. Now, I was at Tuesday's game. I was at that poop fest. And, you know, of course, I, I blame myself because apparently I bring out the worst in this team this year. So I either need to stop going to games or stop rooting for the Mets or do something because they seem to lose, like, pretty much every game that I go to this year. So sorry, guys. Um, that said, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny looking at, you know, how the, these were the teams in that playoff game in 2016 and the starting pitchers were had a rematch, so to speak, on Tuesday. And both of those teams are just so such a far cry from what they were that year. Um, 
so you, know, you can kind of kind of look at that from that perspective. And yesterday's game, it's like, okay, great, yeah, they won. They're supposed to friggin' win. I mean, hello, Jason Vargas. So, you know, they're supposed to win these games. So it's kind of hard for me to kind of get excited. And when I was following them on, you know, on the game cast today, because I was, I was out at work, I was in the field, and I'm just getting the score updates. I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me over here? They're, they're not going to win this game. And of course they did win, but they're supposed to win that game. So it's kind of even, even like with the games that they're winning, I'm kind of like, yeah, but you know, these are the games you're supposed to win. Let's, Let's take a look at the schedule upcoming for June. The next few series, have you looked at the schedule, folks? They're playing the Rockies, the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Braves. These are all teams with winning records. The time that they were supposed to kind of beat the crap out of the other teams was, you know, previously. This is the time that, you know, we're, we're supposed to expect them to lose. So I'm voting with inconsistency. Yeah, you know, it's kind of hard to get away from that. And a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about how this Mets team has all the characteristics of a 500 team. They don't win one, lose one, win one, lose one. They do crap that will make you insane, like getting swept by the Marlins. (laughs) Then they'll do something that will give you a glimmer of hope, and then it'll just be a season of that. And and when, you know, the dust settles, they'll be basically 500. But – you know, let's get more into that. So, Coop, you, you hit on something that I want to go to on, on the uh, subject of being topical here. We're about 23 hours away from a Jason Vargas complete game shutout. Now, here's a guy who, um, <laughs> you know, we've all given the man a lot of crap, and, but he really trolled us last night. And when you look at the fact that among active pitchers in the major leagues, he's second in career shutouts, which blew my mind. Um, and also, he now has the second lowest ERA on the staff on, on the, of the starters, just just right near Jake. So, Coop, let's go back to you on that. You know, you mentioned the Vargas start. What, what were you thinking last night as this thing was evolving? Were you thinking uh, this this can't be real, or were you thinking, yeah, you know, the guy had a good second half last year. They signed him for a reason. Where was your head last night during the Vargas? Uh, we'll call it shenanigans. Uh, you know. I kind of, I felt bad for the guy. Um, here's this guy who is, I mean, he's not even like the fifth starter, let's be fair. You know, he's like, he's literally the back of the rotation guy brought in with a staff of Jason DeGrom, last year's Cy Young Award winner, Noah Syndergaard, who's a rock star, Zach Wheeler, who is, you know, playing up to his potential, and Steven Metz, who's, you know, the homegrown you know, decent pitcher guy. And then you have Jason Vargas, you know, there's no connection with the fans. The fans aren't like, OMG, I need to go to a Vargas start tonight. Um, but, you know, then he's, he's wearing a Mets uniform. So I have to root for him, but I'm not expecting much, but a shutout, you know, I mean, forget, you know, the whole complete game thing that he'd actually, he had a, a low enough pitch count that he was actually able to pitch into the ninth inning but you could also look at it from from this perspective too. I feel like the old Mickey Calloway, like Mickey Calloway last week, would have been like, "Yeah, you know what? We'll finish this for you. No worries." I think after he's getting bit in the ass <laughs> the other night, taking out, you know, having the quick hook for Thor, you also have to realize the bullpen really sucks this year. So like, hey, you know what, Jason Vargas. 
maybe he's not that bad. It's it's just kind of funny how the pitching was such a strong point going into the season, and yet they, you know, the the arms really haven't held up their end of the bargain. But then you have Jason Vargas, who's kind of gone above and beyond. It's kind. Of, I mean, but honestly, you guys have been Mets fans a long time. I've been a Mets fan, you know, almost forty years. This is, I mean, this is part of the course. It, it really is, isn't it? The, like the guy that you expect the least out of is giving you the most. Yeah. No, it's hard to argue that one. Mike, take that away. What were you? What do you think of the Vargas start? What were you thinking in the, in real time as it was happening? It's funny how that works out, but what I was thinking in real time, uh, the sun shines on a dog's posterior at least once a day as, as well, Rich. Uh, hey, good day for him. Look, <laughs> with, with, with all these rookies the Mets have been facing lately and how well they've looked against us, you know, uh, I, I guess Vargas was entitled to a day like this. And, you know, if you're Mickey Callaway, you play the hot hand. Yeah, he goofed up with, with that Thor situation. So uh, he had nothing to lose. You know, I'm going to say that I, I felt like Coop in this one. I, I felt bad for Vargas. You know, he he's doing the best he can, I suppose. Some of his postgame comments, especially last year, annoyed me when he would always say, well, I felt like I made quality pitches. Yeah, but, dude, you got beat eight to nothing, you know, so let, let's not say they were too quality. But the guy's out there, you know, he, he's in everybody's crosshairs, and he finally had he finally showed the fans something. And I was rooting like a madman for him last night. I was like, leave him in. I want him to go all the way. I wanted to see him have a quick eighth so he can get the ninth. And I was very happy when Mickey did, which leads me to my next point. And, uh, and Coop, we'll start with you again on this one. Callaway's decision to yank Cindergard. And I'm going to ask you two questions, both of you, two questions on it. First, from a logical perspective, where are you with it? And I'll give you a couple of fun facts. Think about, you may know these already. He was at 103 pitches, and it was about to be the fourth time through the order. And I guess uh, some people did some research. You know, when he's faced lineups the fourth time through, his his, uh, batting average against does go precipitously up. Okay, so there's that. And then the second thing I want you to comment on was Mickey's mea culpa on that one, addressing the team and saying that one was on him. Do you think that was ridiculous and, you know, a leader should never show flaw like that? Or do you think it was good? It was, you know, humbling to do that. So, Coop, where are you on it? All right. Um, well, the, the first part of that question, I, like I said, I was at that game. And you just knew this was going to blow up in his face. He, he had two-thirds of the inning down. Put him in for that. Keep him in for that last out. Um, I, I, I thought that was just a no-brainer. I had no idea why, you know, and, you know, we can, you know, kind of look at stats. We can kind of look at how the past predicts the future and all that. I, I'm thinking that this is the game that we needed, you know, Thor versus Bumgarner in 2016. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the team was actually hitting Bumgarner and Thor was actually looking really impressive. Um, I, I was kind of, I, I, you just knew it wasn't going to work out. And it didn't. Um, you know, and of course, it, it, it could have worked out perfectly, but, you know, we also know that the bullpen just has not been, uh, you know, holding up their end of the bargain. Um, I knew that, that Mickey just was not making the right decision. Um, I, that's just, that's just me talking. I mean, it's not even 2020 hindsight. Like when I was there, I was saying, 
why are you doing this now? This is stupid. Um, that said, post-game, um, I'm not really sure how I feel about it. On one hand, I, I, it would you know, are, are, are you, would, do you really think Mickey Calloway would be that stupid to say, um, no, nah, I would totally do that again? Like, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> um, and you can see the look on Cindergaard's face when he was taken out of the game. He's saying, no, I want to finish this. But it had, you know, so it was written, so it shall be done. He was taken out. Um, I, I think – the heat is on Mickey. He knows that the team needs to perform because you can't, you know, fire the players. So you got to fire the coaches. You got to fire the manager. Um, one of one of the things I don't know. I'm pretty sure everybody on this podcast knows Nostradamus. Um, he has been calling Mickey Calloway handsome Art Howe uh, because of just the just the the blunders that he's making are. Are like they're they're huge. They're they're epidemic proportions, and, and yet he gets away with it. You know, he's like a more charismatic, handsome Art Howe, if you could think about that. But you know, we have a guy who's got you know a bunch of talented players. He doesn't know what to do with them, and his his mea culpa. Yeah, it's it's nice on paper, but you know what else is he going to say? You know. I didn't make a mistake there that, you know, it's one thing that he's shouldering the blame of the team on, on him. Um, but the, you know, the bullpen didn't have to give up like 900 runs in the, in the late inning. The Mets could have actually hit in situations. It's, you know, there's a lot, you know, we, we watch a lot of games. There's 27 outs that need to be made or nine innings that need to be played. Um, and a lot can go right and a lot can go wrong. Um, but it's, you know, it's again, I, I, I'm kind of like, I, I don't think that, that Mickey Calloway was wrong in, in shouldering the blame, but then again, you know, he really couldn't go back and say, I would totally do that again. So I, I'm kind of, kind of, um, you know, Switzerland in that respect. Mike, run with it. Two questions. Was it the right move from a baseball perspective and how do you feel about the mea culpa? Mia Culpa. Uh, sometimes that can backfire with the players. That's a 50-50 proposition. It doesn't uh, particularly work out well with the media. So uh, either way you look at it, you know, he put himself in a compromising situation then, uh, because everyone's going to always refer back to that, just like they're going to do with Brody. And, you know, you know where this is all pointing. Uh, players rule the narrative. It's the only real way I can put it. You know, uh, I said this before, when you deal with pedestrian players, you get pedestrian results, and we have these kind of debates. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but I just want to throw it out there. You know, I think just bullpenning is proving to be a complete and utter failure throughout baseball. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Well, you know, it's funny because when he took him out, when he took Syndergaard out, I was all over it. I was like, you know what? I would do the same thing. He was well over 100 pitches, fourth time through the lineup. Lugo is – I think Lugo – tell me if I'm wrong, if you disagree. I think Lugo is an elite reliever. And I'm like, okay, you know, go with your best here, get out of this inning, and, and escape with the lead. To me, it logically pointed to it. And, and I was surprised at the, the reaction of people saying – 
it was stupid. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, well, maybe it wasn't so obvious to go to Lugo. Maybe there is some rationale to leave Syndergaard in. So I became more of a 50-50 on that. Um, I, I, w- I thought the mea culpa was great. Uh, to me, a good leader does that. A good leader will admit failure. And, and I actually thought closing the door to the media and taking his two minutes and saying, guys, this one's on me. I, I shouldn't have done that. You know what? While I, well, if you do that too much, obviously it can compromise your position as a leader, but I do think a good leader strategically will do that. And it also helps take some of the blame away from Lugo and away from the bullpen. So I actually thought it was kind of a, I don't want to, I don't want to say brilliant, but I thought it was a good move. And I was very, very surprised with how the media jumped all over him for it. Um, but anyway, that's just my perspective on it. It's interesting how, you know, we could all see the same thing and, and have different feelings on it. And that's what makes sports great, right? So, all right, so let, we can go off the field. We can go off the, um, the most recent series against the Giants. Talk about some other things. Our friend Robinson Cano, um, he is hitting all the 235, but that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the fact that he was out for 12 days, came back. When he was asked if he was 100%, apparently he said no. And he played Tuesday night. And he hit into a double play, and he hurt his quad. I didn't hear a damn thing about him today. If you, if one of you did, I stalked Twitter to see if he's going on the IL. I haven't heard anything about his injury at all. So, uh, Mike, we'll start with you here. Is this what the hell's going on? I mean, is this Ray Ramirez and all that? It just never goes away, even though the people change. Did they rush Cano back? And if they did, why do you think they did go with that one? If. Uh, if we're going to be playing the game of ifs, you know, we can always refer back to what Pedro Martinez said <laughs> in his book, that it's Jeff Wilpon, and he instigates these situations because he's a meddler. And if he's going to be paying you all this money, he expects you to be out there on the field. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, I'd like to think that because I'd like to pile on them, but I just don't know. Uh, does it reek of desperation? Yeah, somewhat. Uh, for the same reason, because they're paying, all, paying him all this money, he's their feature player, and he's not on the field. Uh, you know, so he's got a lot of expectations placed on him, and the Mets are still waiting for him to deliver. Uh, but all that said, Jeff Wilpon does have a history of meddling, and when it comes to injuries and being on the field or off the field and uh, them being more beholden to uh, – Attendance more more so now than ever. You know the conspiracy theorist in me wants to jump all over this. Uh, but if they're smart, just give him the time off, let him recover. When he comes back, you see what he's worth. You know, Coop. Before I go to you, I just want to say one of the things about that it, it, it reeks obsessed with it. You know, where it's like, okay, well. You know, he, he's not really 100%, but, but he's good enough. And then it's that game against Atlanta, that Wednesday afternoon game against Atlanta two years ago. With the entire fan base said, oh, my God, he's going to basically blow himself up out there if they put him out there compromising. What happened? They, he blew himself up out there. So, Coop, I know you're a, you're a card-carrying member of the Ray Ramirez fan club, and, and Ray is gone. Um, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on, on the way they handled Cano? Um. I mean, as far as the being rushed back, I, all right. So I, I, I'm kind of ambivalent about Robinson Cano. Everybody was kind of, I, I, I feel like because of his association with the Yankees that he was, 
he's kind of like elevated, but I mean, it does seem like he, he will be a potential future hall of famer, not a first ballot, but blah, blah, blah. And, you know, his whole thing is that he's never been injured. And then of course he starts getting a lot of grief in the media and from, you know, obviously from fans, from, you know, not running out, you know, simple ground balls and, and everything. Um, and I, 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 I'm like really on the fence because, Cano always kind of had this reputation of being a loafer. Like he's, you know, you're going to get like a consistent effort from him, but like little things like that, he's just not going to push himself. And that's kind of what you signed on for um, when you, when you get him on, on the flip side, uh, did he rush himself back? Like I, I kind of just feel like, and I think Mike brought up a very good point about, about Jeff Wolpon, it's really funny because I'm, I'm like, you know, besides being a card carrying member of the Ray Ramirez fan club, you guys know, I love the Wilpons, right. Um, <laughs> but I'm not even really thinking of him in, in this respect. I'm like, Oh, you know what? That's actually an angle that I didn't really think of. Um, but that said, I, I think here's a guy who's literally like gone through his entire career and he's not, and never really had a stint on the aisle until he comes to the Mets. And it's because he pushed himself when everybody was on his case about not pushing himself. Um, at the end of the day, Robinson Cano is a competitor, but I think he might be like, hey, you know what? I can't really push myself right now. And because he's the veteran, they're, you know, they're kind of going to be like, all right, so, you know, kind of pull like what Carlos Beltran used to do when he'd be like, oh, my legs feel 85%. So I'm not going to go on this, you know, back then it was the DL, so, you know, kids, kids these days calling it the IL, but it was, oh, I, I'm not going to, you know, go on, go on the injured reserve. I'm going to, you know, try to tough it out and play, but not start. It's like, no, you're wasting a fucking roster space here. Like, are you hurt or you're not? <laughs> um, so that's kind of where I am with Cano is that I, I feel like he's just being really cautious and the Mets are being cautious with their investment. Like it or not, he's going to be a draw. Um, he's going to be a draw to those Yankee fans living out in Long Island who can't get – it's a schlep to get to Yankee Stadium. But, hey, one of their favorite players that they grew up with is now playing for the Mets. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah, you know, I, I think of it as I'm I'm kind of where both of you are with it. I, I think he, um, I think Cano probably quads are tough, and to think that a 36 year old man is going to come back from a quad after 12 days with no rehab games, I, I think it was a bit silly on the on the surface of it. And then lo and behold, he goes out there and re-injures it. Now, what was the reason? Was it Jeff Wilpon? Like Mike said, we don't know that. Um, we certainly can suspect it. Um, so was it that? Was it Cano, you know, saying I'm I'm okay to go? Don't really know, but it's unfortunate. At the end of the day, it's unfortunate, no matter the reason, that the number three hitter in the lineup is now out of the lineup, and I don't know when he's going to come back. And I don't like I don't doesn't sound like either of you heard anything specific either today. Um, but Coop, I want to jump on what you said. Can you please, if the guy is going to be out, put him on the flipping IL already? and not play with 24 players, why do the Mets, no matter who's in charge, feel it's a good idea to play with 24, 23 players? Why? I don't understand that. It drives me crazy. Can either of you comment on that? Does it equally frustrate you? (laughs) 
Oh yeah, it does. Um, I, but I, I'm not even. Are the Mets really the only the only team that does that? Because I remember when I was screaming about that in 2007. Uh, you know, to conjure up some post traumatic mess disorder here. But they're like, well, you know, players don't don't want to go on the, you know, they don't want to be injured, they don't want to be out, they don't want to be Wally Pipped and blah 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 blah. Like, who the fuck's gonna Wally Pip? Robinson Cano. And the Mets gave him number twenty four, and apparently, if you were a Mets fan that didn't lose your fucking mind over that, then you're not a good fan. No, I didn't give a shit. You're either it's either retired or it's not. You know, like I, I don't I don't care. And I think that the numbers are clear that Cano will be a future Hall of Famer. He's not going to go into the Met, but I don't really care. I still think of him as a Yankee bum. Um, regardless, I, I'm kind of like, you know, who, who's going to Wally Pitt someone like that? So is it a pride thing? Um, I mean, I, I really don't think I, – I think it's kind of like the, the end of it all when players just choose to bench themselves and the manager kind of goes along with it. Um, I think that that's kind of bullshit, but that that's just me talking. Mike, run with it. Any more? Any more thoughts Mystifying, on that? Rich. Mystifying. Why? As you ask, why? And my answer is, I don't know. And so I have to go back again, and you know, look at the variables, uh, the transient variables, and the and the constant. Players have changed. Coaches have changed. Managers have, have changed. General managers have changed. You brought up Ray Ramirez. The, the whole med, this, ed, this, that, other have changed. And what is the constant? And, and this is a, a maneuver practiced in the past, and obviously it, it's playing out again this season. So what is the constant? And without, you know, naming names, I'm, I'm, here I am. I'm speculating. It's mystifying. And, and therefore, I have no choice but, but to take this route. Well, you know, it, it does. You're right. You, what What's the constant since, the, you know, the, all these things? Pedro, going back to 04. Uh, Pedro being rushed back, you know, and his comments on that, and Beltron, and Cespedes, and and now uh, and now Cano. I mean, I, I don't know. Is it Wilpon and Brody's ear well, saying, "I'm paying this dude a lot of money"? Go ahead. Let's remember what the job title is here: Chief Operating Officer. So when they operate in these mystifying fashions, well, who, <laughs> who's that on? It is. You're right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, okay. Something else? Um, all right. Nope. Let's, let's jump to a more happy topic before we, uh, before we move on to other matters. So another, one last on the field thing. How about Jeff McNeil? Here's a guy now, the other side of the Cano thing. He goes on, a, he goes on the IL, no rehab, right? So he does no rehab. And which raised a few eyebrows, but he's done nothing but hit since he came off the IL today. And I'd ask you to comment on this, not only comment on Jeff McNeil, but please comment on the, uh, the, <laughs> the decision to pinch hit for Ahmed Rosario, who had hit a home run in the game with McNeil when the, uh, when the tying run was on third. And so, 
please talk to me a little bit about are, are you a Jeff McNeil fan in general? And secondly, what did you think of Mickey's idea to pinch hit McNeil for Rosario in the bottom of the seven? So, uh, Mike, why don't you start with that one? I have no problems whatsoever with Mickey's decision. Nothing's ventured, nothing gained for as much as we'd like to complain. Uh, McNeil, man, I, I swear this guy wrestled alligators when he was a child. Uh, you know, he just seems in, in, indestructible. You know, he's a, he's a one-man force. <laughs> I have nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, and, again, I'll reiterate, I have no issues whatsoever. Rosario's been wielding a hot bat of late, but I have no issues with making this maneuver. Coop, talk to me about McNeil and, and specifically the move today. I Well, I, I really like Jeff McNeil. Um, as far as the move today, um, I, I didn't really get to watch the game, and I was following on, on Game Chest. And the, the funny thing was before I left, for work in the, in the morning, Ed was actually home today and Ed was telling me about how people were losing their minds that McNeil is on a hot streak and why is he being benched? And, you know, there, there's just other things, you know, it was a night game. Today is a day game and it was an earlier start. So of course there are going to be, you know, certain things that are, you know, certain players are going to be benched. Like you're not going to have the, you know, day game for a night game. You're going to have a different catcher. And that's, these are things that you could sort of expect. Um, I really kind of feel like um, having him uh, pinch hit later, though, um, in one way, it was Mickey Galloway, like, kind of getting his, his last laughs, you know, like, you know, see, I actually did make a move that was right, <laughs> that didn't blow up in my face. I kind of pulled it out of his ass, I think. Um, but I, I have no problems with it whatsoever. It's, you know, it's all part of the game. And, um, you know, McNeil is kind of one of those players. I, I mean, I, I really don't think anybody dislikes him. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, he just seems to be one of those quintessential Mets, like the guy that, you know, is always going to play hard. And, he, you know, all those intangibles, you know, he's scrappy and blah, 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 like the types of words that we like to use to describe baseball players. Like, he's a baseball player. And that's that's what I, what I think about Jeff McNeil. Yeah, he, he really – he's the Wally Backman of, of the current day, and I think that name means something to all of us. And the scrappy guy to get the uniform dirty guy, that at bat today where I was watching it on game day myself, and I'm like, oh, God, he's got two strikes on him. He's not going to get the job done. And when I saw the hit on the video, literally, you know, he just – he was going to – he refused to strike out. He stuck the bat out got the bat on the ball, hit the exit velocity must have been 10 miles an hour, but, you know, he blooped it over Crawford's head to tie the game. And then later in the game, he comes up and he, and he drills a single to add some icing on the cake. So he's a guy it's very easy to root for. Um, and he's kind of the anti-Cano, you know, because Cano's got a boatload of talent. Um, he's got power. He's got a beautiful swing. He's graceful. McNeil's none of those things, but McNeil is a scrapper. And so, um, and so it's kind of interesting to watch those two. You know, they're so different, in my opinion. All right, so let's move on to um, more off-the-field matters, but more esoteric off-the-field matters. And we have to start with this one. On June 3rd, baseball had its draft, which I actually watched it on TV for the first time. It was kind of interesting. Uh, but anyway, I'm not talking about the draft here. Let's talk about the fact that as of June 3rd, when the draft took place, no more draft pick compensation tied to Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell. 
and which meant that it was open season, right? And now Kimbrell has signed with the Cubs, three years, $43 million. Keuchel is as yet unsigned, but I'm hearing that the Braves are the odds-on favorites to sign him. Okay. The name it's I haven't confirmed. mentioned. Oh, it is confirmed. Okay, thank you. Yep, yeah. Um, they, yep. Thank you. It they must have been hot off the press. It. Yeah, it literally okay, so. it, it was. Yep. So thank you, Coop. So, all right. So you, I didn't say the new, name New York Mets, though, did I, for Keuchel or for Kimbrell? And so, Mike, I'm going to start with you on this one because I know this is a hot topic of yours. What do you make of the Mets not pursuing either one? Well, let me ask you another question. What do you make of the Mets not landing either one? And what do you make of these reports that they were in on Kimbrell? So, Mike, take it away. What are you thinking about? The Mets were in on Kimbrell. Uh, you know, if, if Crank calling his agent qualifies as showing interest, well, I, I guess they showed interest. Uh, but I don't think they were ever serious. Uh, not one bit, because they're not going to add money. Uh, they're shuffling players, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, you look at who's in charge over there, Theo Epstein. You know, he won with the Red Sox, he won with the Cubs, and this is the same maneuver he did when he acquired Aroldis Chapman. Uh, so there's a method to his madness. We're still trying to figure out the Mets. Uh, and then Keiko, he signed. That's a surprise to me. I knew that I, I saw the tweet where the uh, – the Braves were the uh, front runner, uh, but not for a minute that I think either one of them would wind up in a Mets uniform uh, for the simple fact that the Mets will not, at this present moment, add to their payroll. They're just not doing it. All these offseason maneuvers came at a, a minimal cost. So, and adding to that, I saw a number today um, that a large amount, I remember the exact number, of Cespedes, is, they, had, they had the actual number on the insurance money. Um, and somebody said, how much are they going to reinvest into the team? <laughs> so if you, it was over $20 million, though, of Cespedes coming back, of you know, his contract coming back. And Kimbrell signed for, if I do my math correctly, about, what, $14 million a year? And so they, that money from Cespedes could have been immediately reinvested in Kimbrell. Don't know if you guys, if maybe if you know the, uh, the Keuchel numbers, but it seems like, you know, it's hard, Coop, it's hard to argue what Mike just said. I mean, is it, in your opinion, Coop, a baseball move? You know, we don't have the roster room for either one of these guys. We'd have to displace somebody. Or is it purely finances? What do you think? <laughs> um. All right. I, I'm going to say it's a little bit of both, but it's probably more like 80% finances and 20% do we really need him? You know, be, it, it, it just seems like Keuchel to me is a good arm to have. Um, he's a great pitcher. Um, I, I, you can throw all, all those, you know, words to describe him. I don't think he, he has any room in the Mets rotation. We have Vargas. No, I'm kidding. But in, in all seriousness, the front of the rotation is theoretically supposed to pick that up. You know, where would he go? Um, I, I just – Keuchel would be a nice addition to the Mets staff. I just didn't really see him as being a good fit for the team. 
Um, of course, he's going to a rival. You don't want to see that. But, you know, I could look at the Braves. Like, we're not beating the Braves. We're, we're, just, we're not this year. I, I don't really feel that. So with or without Keuchel, they weren't going to beat the Braves. You know what I mean? I, don't nece- I, I think Keuchel makes them a better team for sure. But I feel like on the Mets, he, he's not really doing much to help. I don't, I don't know if, if I'm really explaining myself right. Um, but then we have Kimbrell. You know, I, what, he's a closer. We have a closer. I, I, you know, we're going to have two closers. We already have another closer on the team, and he's the eighth inning guy. Um, I, I just, again, I really, they're the sexy names, and they cost money, but it does lead to finances. The Mets could have pulled a move. They could have cost locked the other team. For sure, if they wanted to, if they could have, they're not going to. And the answer all leads to the top. It leads to the Wilpons. They're they're gonna kind of downplay it, you know. Kimbrel, okay, fine. He went to uh, you know a, another NL team. It's not a division rival. I really don't care. Um, the fact is, the Red Sox didn't want anything to do with them. It, it just it, it kind of, kind of you know the Red Sox aren't nearly you know they're really not doing that great. Um, their 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 season has been kind of a wet blanket. So um, there was that. So I'm kind of surprised that they weren't even you know in on the sweepstakes there. Uh, and and Keuchel, yeah, you know, good luck to him. You know, I think he'll be great in Atlanta. I'm honestly, I would rather him go to Atlanta than go to the fucking Yankees. <laughs> even though Atlanta is our division rival, I would not want to hear it from Yankee fans. Um, so it's kind of, I'm kind of in the realm of, well, you know what, they would be nice players for the Mets to have. But then again, it all leads to the finances. The the Mets didn't want them because they didn't want to pay them. That's that's the be all end all here. And you're right. And it comes, the signing of, uh, well, they came within 24 hours of each other, but it comes on the day that the, the word came out about how much they're getting back on Cespedes. And so it's like, it, it's it's all the things that we see on Twitter all the time. It, it's why do you act like a middle market team in the biggest market in the world? And if you're doing that and you're getting this check in the mail, you know, for, oh, well, Cespedes doesn't play for you, so here's some money and you're not investing that money in the team, it, it, that's the part of it. I hear what you're saying, Coop. You know, they have Diaz, who's a better closer than Kimbrell. He is. He just is. He's younger. He's better. Familia is supposed to be the Kimbrell. He's, you know, they would use Kimbrell as a setup man. They have Familia. And when Familia's on, like he was today, fine. But to me, it's like, it's it just you put all these things together. It, it, it's acting like a mid-market team right along. It's the Cespedes thing and the fact that the bullpen is the biggest weakness you have and the guy's sitting there and you don't even, you're not even active in the conversation. It's, I think that's what infuriates the fan base the most. So um, it's a, it's an age old story for us Met fans. Uh, and it's just the way it is. I mean, uh, well, it's frustrating. Let me, let me rage a little bit more than rich. Let me rage a little bit more because <laughs> uh, look, they knew they were going to recover money on Cespedes. They just didn't know how much. They didn't reinvest the David Wright insurance money. So those are those are two knowns that they had in hand. When you subtract those salaries, you know the Mets are about at 115 million. So you know accusing them of operating like a mid-market team, I think, is is still too good for them. <laughs> you know, not for a New York City entity. 
Uh, and let's not forget that they rigged the DeGrom contract to uh, the, to have the big money trigger after Cespedes' money clears the books. You know, so they're doing their best to play this three-card Monty. And, you know, even <laughs> if there was a more conducive player out there, uh, you know, to the Mets' needs, I still don't think they would have made the move uh, purely out of finance. Um, you know, he spent BBW spent the whole offseason trading off, you know, this this organization's low lower level talent, uh, highly touted talent, uh, in lieu of spending money. I, I think the actions speak for themselves. Everything he everything he's done to date has been in lieu of money. Yeah, you know, Mike. As always. Can't argue that. I, as with your point, they're logical and they're well thought out. As is that one. Um, it's frustrating when you take out the right and Cespedes money. They are mid market is maybe generous, and that that that's that's inflammatory. You know, it really is in this market. You have your own freaking network. You have New York City. You have people like me who are plunking down money for tickets. Uh, season plan who coop you do too and it's like wtf guys you know what i mean you, you have a payroll that that's like the kansas city royals payroll i mean come on and you have you know this division is there to be taken and the braves have not pulled away yet and there Kimbrough you go there helped. you go rich those are the magic words it's there to be taken and yet you know the narrative is come get us right and they didn't come get anybody and uh and that's the problem so, all right, now that I've made myself mad, um, all right, let's play, play a quick one here. We'll do a quickie. Um, give me your <laughs> – I'll have a little fun with this. Give me your reaction to this one. Jay Bruce is back in the National League East. Jay Bruce had nine at-bats as a Philly and had three home runs in those nine at-bats. Cool. What are you thinking about that? <laughs> Fuck me gently. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> What is your thought? But well, I mean, of course, Bruce is gonna be a rock star for the Phillies. Did we? Did we not think anything less? I, I, I here, here's my philosophy with Bruce. I coveted him for a very long time, and I should know better. I've been doing this for a very long time. That when players in small markets, when they're really good, like they're very good players in smaller markets, you know, your Cincinnati and, you know, wherever else, they come to the Mets and they suck. One, they don't do well in big markets. And I feel like in a way, it kind of ties into what you guys were talking about being like a middle market team in the biggest media market, blah, blah, blah. But the thing with the Mets is that they're always going to have little brother syndrome, even when they're not even at the level, you know, that the Yankees are playing. The Yankees lost like three quarters of their team this year, and they're still in fucking first place. You know, they still manage to have this really competitive team. The Red Sox sucking and everything else sucking. Then the Yankees do well. And then we have Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce, who's like apparently a home run hitting monster anywhere else, but in New York, i.e. the Mets. And I feel like 
when they come to a bigger market, like it's one thing if they go to the Yankees, it's almost like the pressure's off. You know what I mean? Mark Teixeira and CC Sabathia went there. They won championships their first year. The Mets, you know, end up losing everybody in 2009. That's just the tale of two cities right there. And then you have somebody like Jay Bruce, who just seems to really excel in these small markets, and he comes to the Mets and he's a fucking turd. I, I, I think it's just the players that, that don't do well in, you know, for the Mets, they do well in the smaller markets, and that's all I, I can really think of is that, of course, he's going to torture us playing for the Phillies. Of course he is. And that's when you're going to see him hitting home runs at City Field, my friend, is when they come play us in City Field and they're going to start kicking her ass. Jay Bruce is going to be the player of the game every time. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Mike, your turn. Go with it. Uh, I'm going to make a 70s reference here. B-sides. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he's, a, he's a B-side. Jay Bruce was not the alpha at Cincinnati. Joey Votto was. But what the Mets have a bad habit of doing is bringing in other teams' B-side and asking them to be the alpha here. You know, so heading into 2016, he was asked to be an alpha for us and get us over the top. You know, he's not being asked to be an alpha in Philadelphia. That's why they're paying that other dude all that money. So, you know, it's a matter of, Putting this guy in perspective, Mets perspective. You know, he's a B side man, and he doesn't have the expectations placed on him in Philly or, or or in Cincinnati that he did with the Mets. And, and that's you know you reap what you sow. They ask, they continually ask other teams' B sides to come here and be our alpha. Why? Because every so often, every so often, one of those B sides turns out to be a hit. You know, but it's like lightning, Rich. Never strikes in the same place twice. Can't add much to what you both... (laughs) Can't add much to that. I mean, I think we all can see it, right? The Mets are going to be... The Mets are going to hang around all year. You know it. They're going to be on the periphery of contention like they are now. And they're going to go to Philadelphia, let's say in August. They're going to be maybe five games out in a three-game series. First game of that three-game series, we're going to have a lead in the bottom of the ninth. Edwin Diaz will be on the mound, and Jay Bruce is going to throw a home run to beat them. You, you just know it, right? Is that not going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> right? oh, yes. <laughs> oh, Without and then a we're doubt, going to be blowing up. You know, like Coors Field and some of these other places, Baltimore, you know, these places are pinball machines. They're the country's largest pinball machines. Of course he's going to kill us. Um, all right, so three more things to do on tonight's podcast. Um, first one, folks, I don't even know what to say about this. I'm just going to throw it to my, my podcast mates here. Earlier this week, the Mets sent out a survey to Mo- – Coop here didn't get it, which I can't believe, but they sent out a survey to seemingly everybody who's ever bought a ticket. And, you know, I work, I've worked in marketing in my career. I've done a lot of these things. This survey was just weird. I mean, it was, tell us why you don't buy more, you don't go to more Mets games. And one of the choices was, I'm unhappy with ownership. Give us five descriptors about the New York Mets. Free text. Type it in there. And they send that, they, they do that. And then it was things like, you know, 
do you see the Mets as traditional or innovative? Do you see them as fan-friendly or corporate? And then they ask you to rate them against other New York teams, like the football giants, Jets, Knicks, that kind of thing. So here, here's what I'm going to say about this. You do it at a time when the fans are irate, okay? That's first thing. You send it out at a time when the fans are absolutely irate. What are you trying to achieve with this thing? How do you, are you so tone deaf that you don't know what you're going to get back? You're going to get back that the fans are infuriated with the team and that they think ownership is the reason why. But yet they ask these questions. So here's my question to both of you. Are you surprised at something like this? Are you surprised at the nature of the questions? And the most important question is this one. How genuine do you think they're going to be in sharing the results with the fan base? Coop, I'm going to let you start with this. And I still can't believe you didn't get a survey, but please do. Please go with it. Yeah, I, I mean, here, hearing these questions, I, I am infuriated that I didn't get a survey. Um, I think I should have been one of the first people they should have fucking sent one to. Uh, they know, you know you're going to get it real with the coop. And, you know, this might actually be a good blog post for me to write, too. Um, I, 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 what strikes me about it is just the tone deafness of it all. Um, that, but it, it shouldn't because that's, that's the Mets MO is that they're always going to do the tone deaf thing, whether you like it or not. And at the end of the day, you know, I hear that most of the, the questions were about, were about ownership and about being an innovative fan base. Let me tell you something. I've been to 27 major league ballparks, including city field and even though City Field is one of the newer stadiums, it is, in my opinion, the one of the furthest back with just respect to the fan base, respect to what we want to see, respect to the team's history. Um, even though the Mets were shamed into putting in that museum and Hall of Fame, um, there's still a em- heavy emphasis on the Brooklyn Dodgers with nothing about the New York Giants. I'm sure – you know, I, you guys have heard me talk about my Uncle Gene. I'm sure my Uncle Gene really loves that because he was a diehard New York Giants fan back in the day. And not to mention that, you know, it, it's kind of like, in my opinion, like a traveling exhibit that, that changes instead of giving the fans a little bit of everything. I just went to San Diego, and there – Fan, their Hall of Fame for the team blows ours out of the water. There's no question. A, a, a team that has, you know, of course they, they have Tony Gwynn and they have Trevor Hoffman, and that's really great. But there's like, and I I was blown away by by their Hall of Fame. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. There were things that I was crying about. And I'm not even a Padres fan. They don't have the quirky fun history that the Mets do. They don't even have a championship. They don't have a no hitter. And then you, you go, you go to city field and you're like, who plays here? Like you have no idea who plays there. It's kind of sad. So going, touching on the questions about ownership. Do you really think they're going to sell? They're going to be like, Oh crap. The fans are really disappointed in us. We should really sell the team and give them that the fighting chance. You really think they're going to fucking do that? No, they're not going to do that. So what was the point? Are they just going to be like, oh, wow, they really hate us. What shall we ever do? And then you have Jeff Wolpon sitting in Greenwich and, in, you know, with his dollar bills in his bathtub swimming like the rich guy in, uh, you know, in the Woody Woodpecker cartoon. 
they're not going to change, guys. They're not, and they're not going to change. You know, what, what has to change is we need to stop going to games. But, Rich, is that going to happen anytime soon? I don't think so. No. Because we're, you know, we're, we're a bunch of staff. We're, every year I say on closing day, I'm a sadomasochist, and I'll be here on opening day next year. That, this is what happens. I, I love this team so much that I follow them on the road. I'm going to Minnesota next month to see them. Like, I'm not going anywhere. So, like, what needs to ultimately, yeah, I'm picking on the owners, and I know that they suck and they're horrible. Two fingers are pointing at, back at me saying, you're the asshole that's supporting them. What's worse? <laughs> <laughs> What's worse here? So, <laughs> it's like my mother used to always say, one lies and the other one swears to it. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of like that. <laughs> um, so, but Coop, I want to ask you a question. And Mike, I'm going to get to you, of course, on this, on the survey thing. But Coop, since you're rolling with it, and, and I'm, and I mean this in, in all candor, give me your honest answer to this. When, when they're sitting around, be, they being Mets brass, what are they saying? Like, wh- why are they saying this is a good idea to send a survey? What are they possibly talking about that they want to get out of this? What do you think it is? I, you know, and honestly, that's the question that I've been trying to figure out myself. I, I mean, I think ultimately they want to figure out what they need to do to get us back. In, in the stadium, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, they, they gave out, you know, essentially like you did the survey and you got free tickets to a future game or whatever. You know, they want you, the only way they're going to make money is if you're in the stadium, if you're buying the merchandise, if you're spending money on food, if you're, you know, doing whatever else people do. Like, you know, I go to my games, I buy my 20 pack every year. I go to, you know, a few extra games a year. Um, I mean, it should not surprise me, and yet, you know, they, they do, they always do, um, that there's just this lack of self-awareness from the Mets brass sending out something after, you know, a horrible series um, when we're all pissed off. And, like, do they not know that we don't like the owners? Like, <laughs> I... I, I I, I'm just, I'm kind of at a loss. Like I'm trying to think of any other, any other fan base that loads the ownership as much as we do. Like, you know, the Steinbrenners were always like this punchline, but you know what? They spend the money, they get out of the way. They don't really say anything. You know, you could always count on George for like a good punchline every now and then. For the most part, this team, you know, they sign the checks, they do what they're, you know, they let Cashman do what he wants. And, you know, then you've got the Mets who, I, I don't know. It's uh, the, the team has just been not great since they've been involved, since they've, you know, bought out the 50% of the team and then they bought out double day. It's just, they have to know this. And it, uh, I don't really know what, what their point was, you know, if they're going to, have like a more innovative stadium. Like, get the fuck out of here with that shit. We we don't want innovation in the stadium. You know you know what I want? I want a team that is so fucking good that I don't want to leave my feet. That I don't want to like not miss a second of the game. 
kind of like it was in the 80s when we were at Shea Stadium. Of course, we didn't really have much else. Shea Stadium was, you know, a concrete slab. You couldn't really do anything. You just went there for the game, and then you left. City Field, there are a lot of distractions. I want a team that doesn't let me fall to those distractions. That's what I want. Well, well, I you know, did everything you said. I, and I, I think you and I both don't have the answer as to when they're sitting in this room and they, they employ people who have degrees in marketing and degrees in corporation, all these things. What the hell are they saying? Like, why are they doing this? They, like you said, they know what they're going to get back. You, you, they know damn well what they're going to get back. And then what are they going to do? Try to not communicate the results or fabricate the results or spin the results? You're not going to fool us. So what are you doing the survey for? And some of the questions were like, I would go to more games City Field if. And one of the damn choices was there were better food and beverage options. It's like, you know what? Come on. This is a, this is a rabid fan base. We don't give two shits about the, the, the food and beverage options. We want a winning damn team, like you said, Goop. It's like, what the hell are you doing? So, Mike, now it is your turn. Did you, first of all, we didn't talk about this. Did you get a survey? And if so, what did you think of it? And if not, what, what's your thoughts on this whole thing? I did not get a survey. If and when I do go to the city field, I pick up my tickets over at MCU Park in Coney Island first and then drive to the stadium. So I subvert that whole system. Uh, but I, I, I concur with everything Coop said. And I, I, but I think the answer is very simple. This is so corporate. You guys have dealt with corporate America. This is so corporate, out-of-touch corporate. Marketing 101. They hire these firms to conduct these surveys. And there's a lot of information to be gotten, at least they think on their part, through these you know, methods. Uh, and, and Rich, as somebody from marketing, I, I think you understand that very well. Uh, you know, marketing is psychology. Uh, so they're trying to, you know, not that we haven't made ourselves clear, but you, you know marketing equals psychology. And But I, I think the simple answer is this, this is so corporate. And that said, the level of disconnect towards Mets fans is just astonishing that somebody or, or, or this father-son relationship you know, they they could be so out of touch. And my only answer is this is so corporate. That's what they do best. They're real estate people. They're sterling equity. That's where they make their bread and butter, not with the best. And I use Fred Wilpon's own words, quote, unquote, my goal is to break even. He said that back in the 90s, I think, if not the early 2000s, or maybe right around when he bought out Nelson Doubleday. But that's where the greater Mets baseball sensibilities walked out the door was with Doubleday. Ever since, it's been this disgustingly corporate entity. And you know what I mean. Both of you know what I mean by that. It's like dealing with human resources. And, and 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 that's why uh, again I, I 
I can't find another word. It's just so astonishing. Their level is disconnect. And that's my simple answer. For those of you who dealt with corporate America, you probably had these type surveys emailed to your desk. <laughs> yep. And you laugh because it's true. No, it is. And, you know, whatever well, I, I, I know. I, I, I know you understand this very well. You know, so the people out there listening, to me, this reeks of, you know, just corporate disconnect, typical corporate disconnect. They're real estate people. They're not baseball people. Even though Fred Wilson played with Sandy Koufax over here at Lafayette High School, doesn't mean he's a baseball man. It just means he picked up a baseball and pitched once upon a time. But they're proving beyond, you know, all defense, they're not good baseball people. There's a reason why Doubleday left the building, and there's reason why he, reasons why he took his parting shot at them. And the prophecy is fulfilled. He's running this team into the ground, if not already. You know, he was totally opposed to building City Field. Why? Because he knew they couldn't afford it. And Doubleday and Wilpon fought over that. And that was, uh, you know, one of the main instigators to him leaving. Uh, Madoff was no secret to him and to people on the inside. Uh, but like us, all we can do is speculate. But they were no secret. And he knew Wilpon's business model was just completely outrageous and unsustainable. You know, Fred is the one who complained that the Yankees' business model is unsustainable, quote-unquote, when they acquired Giancarlo Stanton. But whose business model is the one who's really unsustainable? It's this one. You know, the, the part about, you know, it is. And, and the part about being out of touch, it is, it really is. Because the, you know what your fans want, like Coop said. Ask any Mets fan, ask any fan of any team of any sport, what do you, what do you want, fan? The fan's going to say, I want a winner, right? You don't need a survey to do that. You don't need, and it took 10 freaking minutes. It wasn't three questions, by the way. And they said it's going to take you 10 minutes, and it took 10 minutes. So, and then you give us two free tickets for doing it. Um but to me, it's like it, it comes at a time when I've seen the sports writers writing about this, that they've never seen the fan base this uneasy. And so you send it out and, and it was just stupid. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It was just it was like, what in the hell? You know what I want as a fan. That's why I give you money. I want to enjoy myself the ballpark. And every time when I go in and scan my ticket and they say, have a nice day, enjoy the game. I say to the person as I walk by, I only enjoy it if they win. And. That's what I want. That's what the fans want. And you sent out this stupid survey asking if it, one of the things was, would there, if there was better parking at City Field, would that make you go to more games? It was, um, <laughs> if there was, if it was easier to get to City Field and making, oh, come on, win freaking baseball games. That's what makes people, that's what makes people go. Anyway, um, so Sam is, has now joined us. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I mean, I came in at the, Perfect time, perfect fucking time, because there was some f bombs dropped with uh, with Coop uh, talking about City Field. I mean, it was perfect, perfect. Let's roll them up, boys. So, Sam, you're familiar with the survey we've been talking about. You know, it, it was all over Twitter. 
Um, what are your thoughts on the Mets sending out a, a survey to the fans? Uh, I, I mean, there's really nothing more that I can add in terms of, of what you guys said, specifically how ridiculous and corporate it, it seems. Um, yeah, you know what we want. I want to point back to 2015 and 2016, how electric it was in August and September, and how many butts were in the seats not giving a hoot about any of the bells and whistles that are around. It's not, you know, and it's not, let's, let's also be honest, it's obviously not just City Field that has all these distractions. It, it's, it's across Major League Baseball that has uh, played into the ADHD generation. One of the things that I loved about the only Rangers game I went to was the fact that I was so, so very impressed by how everybody was sitting in their seats watching the Rangers game. And it reminded me of what Ebbets Field must have been like. It reminded me of what, what an old ball game must have been like when it was sold out and there was nothing else to distract you but the awesome baseball in front of you. And that, that is something that really impressed me about the hockey fans in general, uh, specifically Rangers fans when I was there. And, um, I, and, and that's basically what happens when the Mets are winning. Nobody is out there in 2015 and 2016 because it can get a good, a good lobster roll. That's just not what's going on. They're there to see on a desk, but it's a bomb. That's what they're there for. And, and, and that's, that's all that you know, needs to be said about it. It's, it's ridiculous. It, uh, it, it's outlandish. And you know what? When you really think about it right now, Guess what's going on? They're 17 at 10 at home. They are awful on the road, and they're bucking the trend at City Field. And if they keep that up, that's a good thing. Keep being seven games. Keep being 20 games over 500 uh, at home. You just got to get 500 on the road, and you got a pretty solid ball club. Shore up that bullpen. Obviously, it's probably a lot of different things you guys have been talking about. But that's all they need to do. Keep winning because they're playing well at home. And that's all the Will Ponds really need to know. <laughs> but unfortunately, Sam, they think we go to games if you have better hamburgers. And, and that, that's kind of insulting, quite frankly. The more, the more I think about this survey, and they sent it to two of my email addresses because I've used you know, two different ones to buy tickets, I filled it out twice, and now I'm even more I'm double insulted by it. You can keep your damn free tickets. I'm, I'm insulted that you actually asked me that question, that would I go to more games if there were better hamburgers? I mean, please. So – all right, Sam, so you, obviously you joined us at the tail end, and I want to acknowledge the fact that you took time out of your night to join us. So while we've talked about a lot of stuff, I'm going to give you – it's like, um, it's like an, a, a test in, in school. We've done the multiple choice part. Now here comes the essay question. So, Sam, you run with it. Talk about anything you want about the Mets, um, you know, because you took time to join us. So what's on your mind? Uh, I, I just – I got to roll with this whole uh, – you know, home road split. I mean, it just seems that that they, you know, they're getting overexposed. Obviously, I think they get overexposed when they're playing better teams. But more so, it seems like they're getting overexposed on the road. And it's specifically with the bullpen. Because you look at this offense, especially once Jeff McNeil came back, you really saw how, how much, uh, you know, him at the top of the lineup, they really start clicking. 
Um, if, if they can just shore up that bullpen, and Familia had a good inning today, that's a good start. Obviously, you know, we've been giving Mickey a lot of crap, uh, but at the same time, you know, he didn't expect Yuris Familia to be as bad as he's been. And that's a big, big deal in the back of that bullpen. If they can shore the back of that bullpen, they're not going to be nine games under 500 on the road. They're, they probably won't. Like, they, we need them to be 500. I don't know whether they're going to be able to get there at any point this season with the road uh, split. But they, they just they've got to shore up. It, it, it's just like the old saying goes, win at home, 500 on the road. And when you're nine games under at, at road, you're going to be – two games under in general, and that's what we have right now. Um, I, I'll, I'll give props to Jason Vargas. We've given him a lot, a lot of shit, and he all of a sudden has a 357 ERA, and considering he had a 1442 ERA uh, two or three games into the season, he must I, – I don't even know what the ERA must have been like since then, but it must be pretty sound. Um I think even even though obviously uh, Degrom, uh, you know, hasn't had like uh, a a a above and beyond season like he did last year, and so he's like at 3.49 ERA right now. But it's certainly a testament to how Wheeler's pitching, which is a little uneven, and obviously Syndergaard has been completely uneven, although better lately. Uh, and I, I obviously I think once you have a better Syndergaard. Uh, things start to even out where Jason Vargas isn't your second-best pitcher. Uh, Matt has um, been a little shakier lately compared to what he had been like earlier on, and that's probably why his ERA is higher than Jason Vargas's. Um, but, you know, truth be told, what we're, ta- we're, we're talking about, you know, Wheeler shores it up, Noah shores it up, and the bullpen shores it up. And you've got a pretty solid team right now. Because the offense, as much as we've been uh, uh, giving Chili Davis some slack, you know, they're going to go through uh, – we, we, we haven't cut him some slack, excuse me, uh, lately. You know, it's going to go through – you're going to go through ebbs and flows. And, and things are, are pretty sound, at least at home, where uh, generally speaking, again, they have not been able to hit the ball at home, and they're finding ways to win right now there. Um, and, and there was one other thing that I wanted to, to mention, and I'm totally spacing on it. Um, but, oh, oh, uh, Todd Frazier, I think I wanted to give him props, too, because all of a sudden his uh, batting average is 246, and we were talking about him needing to step it up. Otherwise, DFA needed to be on the way. And I, I'm on, I know you guys have probably talked about some roster moves in terms of when Brandon Nimmo comes back. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think we're at the point where we're going to be, you know, uh, with our pitch force because Todd Frazier is not off this team right now, uh, the way he's been performing of late. So uh, let's, uh, we, have, we have to do the number, then we have to do the last word, and we have 14 minutes. So let's try to do this quickly. We haven't touched on the roster when Nimmo comes back. Nimmo is beginning, I believe, a rehab assignment. <laughs> I just, my daughter's not a big fan of Brandon Nemo. She just gave me a face. Um, so Nemo's beginning a rehab assignment. Let's say he's ready to come back yeah, after the Yankee series. Weird next week. They play Monday and Tuesday. They're off Wednesday. Play Yankee Stadium Monday, Tuesday. Anyway, what do you think the roster room is going to be when Nemo comes back? I think that's a hard one. 
Yeah, don't you dare get rid of Hetcheveria. Hetcheveria is my man. So anyway, let's go around. What what's the rush room going to be, Coop? What do you think they're going to do? I, I'm actually I'm I'm kind of uh, floored a, as well. I I can't really think. Um, you know, they they got rid of um, Altair, and I, I'm I'm really spacing on these. I feel like my grandma these days, like trying to keep everybody's name straight. Um, <laughs> you know, the the guy that that hit a home run and then did nothing. Why, why am I That's blanking on the name? Carlos No, no, no. Rajai oh, Davis. Davis. Rajai. That is, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Why was I blanking on him? I actually like Rajai Davis, but whatever. Me too. Um, but it, it would be like, oh, you know, one of these scrubs. You know, you got to get rid of him for Nimmo. But it's it's kind of tough. Like, he kind of Wally picked himself. Uh, his whole season, I, I think uh, Mets official said that his entire season has been a wet fart. So hopefully that's if <laughs> – you know, this comeback will, will be imminent. And, I mean, who knows? Someone else might get hurt. And, and that'll make the decision a little bit easier that, you know, someone will go on the injured list and he comes back. I, I'm kind of at a loss, though. I'm at a loss. I don't know what they're going to do either. I, I know I have an idea. Hey, but Mike, can, what I, you think can I jump in? Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Triple uh, A. That's what I think. I think, I think they started Triple A. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, they seem to be all yee-yee-yee about Carlos Gomez. He hasn't, like, his average is kind of uh, so-so, uh, but he seems to bring a spark to the team in some fashion. And Nimmo hasn't performed right now. Uh, and, and like you said, you cannot get rid of uh, Danny Echeverria. He's, your start, he's, he's not your starting second baseman, but he's rotating around the, the infield, considering that Jeff McNeil's your starting second baseman, obviously. Uh, but everybody seems to be playing all over and not really being overexposed in terms of, like, Dominic Smith in the outfield, Jeff McNeil in the outfield. All of a sudden, these, these aren't – we're not talking about Daniel Murphy out of place type of, type of stuff. So, uh, Danny Echeverria keeps bouncing around the infield. Uh, I, I think that Nimmo needs to figure himself out, and, and he's right up the road uh, two and a half hours upstate. I agree. And Mike, um, Mike, your opinion on the roster move when Nimmo comes back, but also as a fellow uh, longstanding fan of baseball, Hetchabria has 28 career home runs, but he has mastered that bat, bat flip, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's uh, almost natural, second, second nature for him. Uh, that said, Nimmo, Syracuse, I agree 100%. There you go. Um, he, he just hasn't earned it. And although I will say one thing, Carlos Gomez, look, I like the guy too. He's hitting about 200 and he's lost. I think he's minus one DRS in center field. He's really not adding much to the, to the team at this point. Um, I, I don't know. Lagaris is awful too. Lagaris is, is basically a, he's below the Mendoza line. Both these guys, both your center fielders are either hovering around the Mendoza line or under it. Uh, so do you, do you dump one of them for Nimmo? Nimmo's really no better. So I don't know what they're going to do. Um, it'll be an interesting one. All right. Well, I, I think the answer is a little of both. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Right. We have to get to number 27. We have about 10 minutes left. Um, so I look at the number, the Mets who have worn number 27. There's a lot of names here. Not a lot of good ones, though. Um, so let me throw a few out. I'll do the way Sam does it. I'll throw a few out. Um, 
Don Cardwell. He's before my time, but um, I know he was on the 69 pitching staff. Okay. Craig Swan is one of the more recognizable names. Craig Swan was that, you know, slightly above average pitcher who on a bad team was good. Uh, he was our, our guy for a while, so Craig Swan. Uh, Bruce Ferenny came in in 84 when we thought the Mets were going to overtake the Cubs, and they didn't. Um, how about this for a name? Mike Glavin. The Mets had Tom <laughs> Glavin's brother for a, a hot minute, right? Mike Glavin. Darren Oliver I always liked. The recently fired Nelson Figueroa wore 27. Uh, we didn't talk about that, so if you want to say a word about that when we go around, that's fine. And then our buddy Jerry Familia. So, again, a lot of names on there. I didn't say them all. Um, but, you know, there, it's, a, it's odd because there are so many names. And other than Familia and Swan, it's a lot of guys who had cups of coffee in and out. Sorry, so where are we going to start? Mike, why don't we start with you? Uh, as we typically do with the numbers, which one or two of these guys stands out to you? And if you have an anecdote, just go with it. Uh, you said it well. Craig Swan was our guy for a while. He won the NRA title for a bad team or on a bad team, and uh, very quickly, Don Cardwell, you know, he was one of those pitchers. He, he'd go, uh, he'd pitch a complete game, you know, give up two runs, maybe five, six hits, and lose. What a hard luck pitcher he was for those 69 bets, but uh, he, earned his, he earned his way. Uh, so very quickly, I, I would I would like to know your opinions on Nelson Figueroa and SNY. Coop, Sam, what do you think? Uh, Nelson Figueroa. Um, okay, so I'm probably one of the few Mets fans that has no love for him. I really didn't care for him as a pitcher, and I didn't care for him as uh, a, an announcer type guy, whatever you want to call him, show host, SNY booth guy. Um, I, but I, I do. The rumor was that he showed up intoxicated or not fit to do the broadcast or some crap. I don't really know how true that was. Um, If he needs help, I hope he gets it. Um, But, you know, people did kind of say that he had like a Bobby O vibe. And you all know, like, I love Bobby O. Love me some Bobby O. I wish he was still around in some capacity. Um, But he was, you know, Figueroa was the one who was kind of keeping it real. among all them uh so i don't i don't really know i mean i will say i i even though i didn't i didn't really have any love for him there um i probably liked him slightly better than todd zeal and i love todd zeal as a player but i'm not crazy about him as an announcer show host whatever you want to call him uh that's kind of where i am right there my what i heard about figaro was initially it was thought that he showed up drunk and but I've heard since then is that he was not drunk. He was upset that his role was continually diminished and that um, he thought he was going to get a chance to be in the booth when Ronnie, you know, had his issue and he did not. And then he thought he was going to get to do um, the pre and post and he did not. And they, they had Andy Martino, whom I can't stand. Uh, They had him in the booth. And, uh, and what I'm hearing is that, so he showed up after they said, no, Andy Martino is going to get the booth for the pre and post while Zeal's in, in with Gary, uh, Gary Cohen. And, and he basically, I heard he, he broke down and cried. That's what I heard. And that he was, he was in tears, he was sobbing, and they were about to go on the air, and he looked the mess, and they said, you're not going on the air. That's what I heard. Um, hmm. But it was not. That makes sense. I heard, yeah, I, it, right. Um, and I heard 
this, I think it was one of the reporters or somebody credible said, I read it somewhere. And the person said a hundred percent, he was not drunk. He did not show up drunk. Um, he was just emotional. So anyway, all right. Um, so Coop, number 27, any of these stalwart Mets jump out to you? Well, what's funny is when I was looking at the names, uh, I mean, besides Familia, who seems to have been a Met forever at this point, um, a lot of these guys were barely 27. Um, A majority of them were barely 27 for an entire season. Um, But I am going to go with uh, with the Craig Swan um, story. You know, he he was a little before my time as well. Um, I started paying attention to the Mets in 1983, and I started going to games in 1984. Um, Apparently, you know, it looks like he was with the team and, you know, shortly after I went to my first game, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But my story actually isn't my story. It's actually Ed's. Ed went to his first ever Mets game on, uh, on June 15th, 1983. And that's a significant date in, uh, for, for Mets fans across the board. You might remember that was the day that Keith Hernandez was traded to the Mets. Um, And, Craig Sloan apparently started a game that night and the Mets lost uh, on account of a Bill Buckner clutch hit um, that was apparently misfielded by the Mets first baseman, who was Rusty Staub that night. And then, you know, famously, the Mets did get the best, probably the best first baseman in baseball (laughs) Uh, or in the National League, at least. Um, that the next day. So Rusty Saab never played first base again, and Bill Buckner actually had a moment of, you know, heroism at Shea Stadium just on the other end. And that had to do with a Craig Swan start. There you go. That's awesome. Sam, how about you, number 27? I got to say that I wasn't able to look over it enough. And uh, based off of everything you guys are saying, and also what I know about Mets history, Craig Swan probably takes the cake uh, with this one. Uh, he's just one of those players that everybody loved from those bad 70s uh, years. And, and it seems like there's always some really, really great players that make it onto these teams. And that's why I always like to say, that the Mets are always a wild card, even if they don't contend for one. The, the, you know, they they always seem uh, like they could have done better. And uh, the 70s were uh, certainly one of those times. And, um, you know, Familia, I hope that he can take the reins and yet again be the best 27 eventually. But uh, based off of what I know about Mets history and how uh, uh, much people talk about it, I think Craig Swan takes the cake. Well, there you go. Um, so I'm going to also go with Craig Swan, and I want to tell a quick story on that one myself. Um, I'm not sure if any of you saw the video of the uh, women's college softball tournament going on. Anyway, what happened was there was a, a batter hit a ball between the pitcher and the catcher. Catcher picked up the ball, was going to throw it a second hit the pitcher in the face with throw and the girl just collapsed. And, um, and I, you know, I think she's in pretty bad shape, like all kinds of fractures and concussion and all that kind of stuff. The reason I'm telling you all this about Craig Swan, but I remember Mike, maybe remember this the year after he won the Cy Young, 
he was throwing in his warm-up pitches in Montreal. And as typically is the case, the catcher throws down to second base, you know, after the last warm-up pitch. Ron Hodges was the catcher. He went to throw to second base, hit Craig Swan in the back with the ball, and broke his rib. And Swan missed two months of the season after the year after he won the uh, the ERA title. So is that classic Mets? I mean, Hodges is going to throw <laughs> the ball to second base, which happens in base in baseball every day, all the time. And he hits the ERA champion in the back and breaks his rib. So Mets. And I remember that about Craig Swan. Anyway, so that's Craig Swan. I know it's it's you 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 don't want to laugh, but you have to. I mean, it's Mets. And um, you know, I, the only other thing I'll, I'll point to here in this list, Pete Harnish was a guy who, you know, from Long Island had had a really good career with the Astros, I believe it was. And um, when the Mets got him, he just wasn't he didn't have anything left, and he he had a big issue with Bob Apodaca. When he left the Mets, he was very vocal about that and, um, and kind of became persona non grata in Queens. And it's unfortunate for a New York guy. Anyway, that's 27. Time for the last word. We have about a minute left. Um, Coop, I will say this before we do the last word. It has been a pleasure having you, as always. Um, Sam, thank you for finding time to call in. Mike, always a pleasure talking sports with you, my friend. So time for the last word. Um, so let's go with you, Sam. Why don't you, uh, why don't you do your last word first? Well, a few things. I will start by saying, Coop, thank you so much again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on a Metzian podcast. Um, I will also just wanted to wrap back around to how much I love Bobby Ojeda. Besides having an amazing uh, interaction with him at the pizza place on the last day of the 2014 season, I thought he was absolutely fantastic as the pre- and post-game guy, uh, and I wish he hadn't left. Uh, And I just got to say, just keep winning. Keep winning at home, perform for your fans, but you've got to get it under control on the road. You're giving up too many games, and this team is is not even close to as bad as last year. I really do believe that. I don't think they're going to have as bad of a June, but you've got to tighten it up on the road. Tighten it up. That's it. Tighten up like Archie Bell in the trails. There you go. Way to go, Sam. Um, all right, Coop, why don't you do – why don't you go next? What's your last word for tonight? Um, well, again, um, it was a pleasure talking Mets with you guys. Um, I'm always happy to be a guest on here. Um, as long as I, I have the time, I was glad to be able to carve out the time tonight. Um I don't really have much to say. Um, you know, we we talked about uh, last year's June numbers for the Mets, and that was kind of when they started to go down the toilet. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't a 500 team uh, in in June, that they would actually overperform against the better teams. Um, that remains to be seen. Come see me at the end of the month uh, or at All-Star break when that comes into it. And, um and that's about it. Uh, great being on here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks as always, Coop. Mike, last word. Last word. Checkpoint. I think our next checkpoint, or for me, would be uh, the trade deadline. Yes, as Coop says, the all-star break is a checkpoint. But, you know, I'm willing to hold out until the trade deadline and see what happens. Uh, Sam is actually the one who talked me off the ledge. Thank you, Sam. I uh, did a lot of venting tonight, but he's right. You know, improve your record on the road. 
And here's another one for you, Sam. Uh, they're 11 and 11 in one run games. And again, being that this is the 50th anniversary of the Miracle Mets, that was one of Gil Hodges' main priorities. He pointed out their record in one run games from the year before. And, you know, he made it a, uh, a major, major emphasis to improve upon that. So if they can straighten that out, you know, let's see what happens. But, uh, the narrative will be updated, I think, by the trade deadline. Uh, I think, uh, between now and then, we just got to haggle with Parr, uh, and, and, you know, see where, see where these, uh, this collection of players gets us. So that's it, Rich. Thank My you, last Coop. two words are, yeah, they, right, definitely. Thank you, Coop. My last two words are missed opportunity. I, I'm I'm feeling bummed about them not aggressively going after Kimbrel. I think Kimbrel would have made a difference. Um, when you think about the the games that they've lost, you know, the game in Arizona over the weekend, the game against the Giants, these are all bullpen games, and adding an arm like Kimbrel. I think could have made a big difference. So I think it's a missed opportunity. So with that said, I'll say it myself, Taryn Coop Cooper. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Always a pleasure. My friend talking baseball with you, uh, Sam and Mike to my fellow uh, conspirators on the Metsian podcast. Thank you guys. Always a pleasure. And Sam, I, I have to ask you, what's the only way to end this thing? Let's go. Mets. Let's go. Mets. Let's. Go, Let's Mets. go, Mets. Let's go, Mets. <laughs> Woo. Good night, everybody. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.